Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. That was funny. (laughs) Romans chapter 14. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for Grace Baptist Church. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to study your word together. Lord, thank you for all that you're doing. And Lord, so many people have so many things going on in their lives. And yet your church is such a vital part of it. Help us to know how to live. And help us to find some of that instruction from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, review. This is where, this, I'm calling this our launch. We're figuring out wh- who we're going to be as a church. We're going to preach Christ. And we're going to become, or we need to become, a welcoming church. And just on that welcoming church stuff, there's going to be training for, for um, greeters and all of that. Then we must heed the call of God in our lives. It's not someone else's responsibility. It's our responsibility. And then we'll ground our preaching in biblical theology. Then we're answering today, why do I live? Why do I live? And the answer is, look at Romans chapter 14. Look at verse 7. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live... We live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. How about that? Therefore, and whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. So what should we do? We should live for the Lord. Well, what does that mean, and and how does all of that work out? First of all, according to our text, none of us live... Unto none of us lives unto ourselves. So now here's the question. Where's our English teachers? English teachers, raise your hand. Do we have any English teachers in here? Any? Okay, is it none of us live unto ourselves or none of us lives? I don't need the explanation. Which one is it? None live. None is one of those words that could be either, isn't it? Now I want the explanation. All right, so it's supposed to be live, none live. Is that right? Lives or live? (laughs) This was my problem. I actually got so bogged down doing this because of the grammar on that right there. And none of you have helped me. I want you to know you've left me spinning up here. Let's take a vote. Who Who says it's supposed to be lives? Raise your hand. I don't, what? Right? Okay. <laughs> this might be the only point that any of you remember from the whole, our whole evening together. The simple fact of the matter is, is that none of us live or lives... Somebody has to get me the right... Are, are you confident in this? Okay. We... we, we huh, what? None live. Okay. How many of you get the point? See, according to the Word of God, remember we talked about that solipsism this morning, the idea that that's a philosophical position 
that's based on the self is all there is, and I'm the center of the universe. That's just the opposite of Christianity. Everything is based on Jesus Christ. We get our life from him as our creator. Then we get our meaning for living from him because he has given us our purpose. So we don't live unto ourselves. We live because of Christ. And then we live as we invest in and build others. So none of us lives unto ourselves. Then, how do I know how to live? So we understand that um, we've got to live for others, that we have to live for Christ. And how many of you as a Christian know that you're supposed to live for Christ and you're supposed to live for others? How many of you already know that? So the question is, are we doing it? Secondly, how do we know what that is? How do we know what we're... Fran, I can't take your questions right now. Thank you. Um, so how do I know how to live? What am I supposed to do? Well, it's a matter of authority. All right? So for the believer, our authority is the Word of God. We do everything based on what the Bible says. Look at Psalm... Keep your place in Romans. But look at Psalm 119. Verse 104, Psalm 119, look at verse 104. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Look at verse 128. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. So how do I know how to live? Well, the Bible tells me what to do, and the Bible tells me what not to do. I love those things that the Bible tells me to do, and I hate those things that the Bible tells me not to do. So the things that are right to do, I love that. The things that are wrong to do, I hate those things. And... Because of the, the way that our society is structured now, it's almost that we're supposed to make an excuse for sin. You know, have you heard this? Tell me if you've heard this. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Have you heard that? The problem that that grows into, all right, and we are supposed to love everyone and we're supposed to hate sin. What that grows into, though, is people are afraid to identify error wrong behaviors. Sin is sin. We're not supposed to make excuses for it. Um, we're, we're not supposed to have soft attitudes toward it. We're supposed to hate every false way. So how are we going to accomplish that? How are we going to figure out how we're supposed to live? And what we've done in the Why Baptist book, I, I broke it down into four authorities. So all of Christianity, here, make sure I get my thing here. Here we go. All of Christianity is divided into four groups based on their authority. So what, what do they call their authority? So the first is traditional Christianity. Traditional Christianity. So traditional Christianity, that's Roman Catholicism, mainline Protestant denominations, they have dueling authorities. And so this is where you guys have to play along because you've heard this before. So let's see how you're doing. What are the dueling authorities for traditional Christianity? It's the Word of God and tradition. And if there's ever a conflict between their tradition and the Word of God, their tradition overrules the Word of God. Now, we have traditions. There's nothing wrong with traditions. Traditions can be great. There's nothing wrong with that. 
The problem is when those traditions become authoritative in a person's life. And if they violate their tradition, then supposedly that's sin. Okay, a simple illustration of a tradition would be this church had a 6 o'clock Sunday night service for years. That was a tradition. We changed it to 5 o'clock, and we decided not to change it on the sign for too long. Remember that. Okay, so we changed that. That's a tradition that's really not that important. The only thing that's important is that everybody know when we're getting together. Right? That's the important part. And another important part is actually getting together. That's, that's vital in the life of the Christian. So that concept of tradition, there's nothing wrong with tradition. The problem is when that tradition becomes authoritative. Now, in this area of how to live in fundamental Baptist churches, for too many years, that tradition, whether it's on music or clothing or any of those things, that tradition became like the Word of God. So if a, if a young man had hair that was touching his ears, that was considered just the worst thing in the world. Now, the Bible says, Doth not nature show you that it's a shame for a man to have long hair? That's in the Bible. So what does that mean? Men aren't supposed to have long hair. But how do you know what is long and what's not? Well, I think everybody knows. If a man looks like a woman, his hair's too long. Right? If from behind you can't tell the difference, maybe your hair's too long. And what that whole concept of that long hair is, is that there's supposed to be a distinction of the sexes. Men are supposed to dress like men. Women are supposed to dress like women. Women are supposed to have hair like women. Men are supposed to have hair like men. That there's a difference. And yet it got to where if you didn't have a particular type of tapered haircut, that you were a heathen. That's tradition. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? How many of you didn't ever, you never went to a church like that? Never. Well, interesting. It's really interesting. So those types of things. Now, there's a reaction. So remember what we're saying. Even in our kinds of churches, traditions took on the weight of biblical authority. So when people said, I no longer want my traditions or someone else's traditions to have the weight of biblical authority, what they did was they threw out every standard that there is. And so now, man, I've been preaching in churches where you can't look at part of the auditorium because of the way women are dressed. That's not, how many of you think that's what God wants? Now, if they're lost folks that someone's brought in, praise God, they need to be here. But if it's, if it's you know, the youth director's wife, we have a problem. So when, we, when our authority becomes our tradition, then it's easy to remove the tradition. When the authority is the word of God and the scriptural thing in this illustration would be modesty or a man is not supposed to look like a woman... When those are your rules, that becomes a lot easier. Are you with me? Are you with me? It's a matter of authority. So traditional Christianity, they have dueling authorities, the word of God and tradition. Who remembers what the second one is? What's the second group that we talk about? Nope. That's good. That's the third one. Charismatic Christianity. In charismatic Christianity, they have dueling authorities. And they're, now, who is charismatic? Pentecostals. That type of thing. Speaking in tongues, faith healing, word of faith movement, all of that. So they have dueling authorities. And their authorities are the word of God and what? Experience. experience. And if there's ever a conflict between their experience and the word of God, 
Their experience overrules the Word of God. Every time. Now, we have to be careful with that. We had uh, Dave McCracken's going to come and preach for us and um, <clears throat> for Easter Sunday, and then we'll have our Bible conference after that. And it's going to be a blast. So years ago when Dave McCracken came and preached, a lady left the church. Not because she was mad. He made her miss her Pentecostal church. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Because of his, his animation, his style of preaching. It's interesting. We need to be careful that our style or what speaks to us is what we deem as authoritative. Now, it's good to find preachers to listen to outside of Grace Baptist that help you. Man, I hope you all are constantly listening to good Bible preaching from other than me. I know a lot of you listen to James Knox or you, you track down other great preachers that we love. And I want you to do that. But be careful when you'll hear someone preach and they have a different style than what you're used to. And you think that that's not actual preaching. God uses all kinds of people. God uses educated people. God uses uneducated people. God uses winsome people. God uses abrasive people. God uses all kinds of preachers. And we need to have respect for the office and the truth that's being preached regardless of the preacher. Now, if the preacher has a holy life and is right doctrinally, that's, that's the foundation. We have to be careful about style. That's a big part of it. Um, when I was... A good, I love this illustration. So, Laura and I were at the church that uh, I was on staff at. Well, when Dave McCracken had been the pastor, he's not there now. Laura's family goes to church there when they're at home in Oklahoma. And the choir got done singing. And the choir did something, a, a song similar to like what we would have done, kind of an anthem-type choir number. But the uh, preacher got up afterward and said, that's what church sounds like. Well, my brother-in-law from West Virginia leaned over and said, not in West Virginia, it's not. <laughs> and it's interesting how we can make what we can think that what we like or what speaks to us is biblical Christianity. Now, there's music that I like and there's music that I don't like. I used to tell Buddy Robertson that my favorite sound that a banjo makes is the sound it makes when it hits a dumpster. I'm not, I'm not a big bluegrass fan. I, that just, But that doesn't make the music that I like better than bluegrass music. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. We have to be careful on this whole concept of experience. We, th th and this is a big problem in the church. Oh, I've got to tell you this. So a lady told Laura this morning that, uh, that we're not a mega church yet. We're a mini mega <laughs> with our new building. She said, we, she said, you a mini mega. I said, all right, that's all right. But anyway, with the church growth movement, with a lot of the stuff that's going on, there really is this understanding that you have to have one particular kind of music. You have to have one particular type of presentation and if it doesn't look like that, then you're not going to reach the masses. That's ridiculous. That is just ridiculous. Um, I, I could get specific on it, but I'm not going to. 
we're never going to do a 45-minute song service where you do a 12-minute song and you try and get people into a certain state. No, we come in and we sing and we do the music as well as we can, and which actually is great. You guys do a wonderful job with the music. And the purpose of that is for us to sing together to the Lord and point people to the preaching of the Word of God. That's the, that's the point of it. That's what we do here. But this idea of there's only a particular kind of music that will speak to me, or if it's not that kind of music, then it's not right. That's all an experience-based faith. And isn't it interesting? What, what, are, what am I demonstrating? That the problems in traditional Christianity, we can have those same problems. The problems in charismatic Christianity, we can have those same problems. Right? And then what's the third group? Somebody said it already. Scholarship. Well, it's, it's modern evangelical Christianity. And their dueling authorities are the word of God and scholarship. So th this breaks down this way. If the Bible says something and their scholarship says something else, their scholarship always overrules the word of God. And th that becomes a real problem because then you can't trust the Bible that you hold in your hands. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. God's word is true. The scholars need to agree with God's word. They don't need to correct God's word. So how, do, how does that affect the way that we live? Well, we at Grace Baptist Church, we're really careful. We're very detailed in our teaching. And we can become very arrogant that we're the only ones that are right. And that is simply not true. We have to be careful with that. We preach the Word of God boldly. We believe the Bible. And I'm thankful that we're learning and that we're growing. But we need to maintain the attitude, I'm just a beggar showing other beggars where I found bread. That's, we have to make sure that we maintain that. Um, now, while I'm saying that, we expect anything that is taught from Grace Baptist Church to be true, to be based on the Word of God. And that's going to take study. It's going to take work. We're going to do it right. We're going to be careful. Amen? But we can't be arrogant about that. Then the fourth group is who we hope to be, and that is simply Bible-believing Baptists. We believe the Bible. We believe every word of it. We understand that that word Baptist, it just describes, when properly used, that describes a method of ministry in the church that comes straight from the New Testament. And I'm not going to take the time to go through all of it, but you know the Bible is our sole authority, autonomy of the local church, priesthood of the believer, all of those things that make us different from the other Christian denominations. So if, if I'm going to remember what we're looking at, how do I know how to live? Well, you have to have an authority, and you need to make sure that that authority is not tradition, that that authority is not experience, and that authority is not scholarship, but that your authority is the word of God. And then we can establish our traditions, we can have our experiences, and we can appreciate our scholarship, but only subordinate to the authority of the word of God. And we believe every word of the book that we hold in our hands, the King James Bible. We believe every word of it. So then, why do I live? Well, I live because he lives. That's a review from this morning. So here is my third question. Do I consider others in how I live? Go back to Romans chapter 14. Do I consider others in how I live?
Verse 7 again, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Then look at what it says in verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Look at verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So, one of the things that... Here, let me see where I am here. So, again, I have both a reason for living and a way of living. So, here's, here's the, this idea. We believe, I mentioned it this morning, that if a man would not work, neither should he eat. Right? We believe that. The, this whole idea of people living their entire lives on handouts and expecting someone else to do things for them, that, that's, that's hurting our culture. Isn't that right? But here's what that attitude can breed, or here's an attitude that, that can come from that. And it's this. You need to do right. Doesn't matter what I do. Mind your own business. I'm going to do what I want to do. I know what I'm doing is right. Deal with it. Is that the attitude that the Bible instructs us to have? Not at all. And so while it's important to know that we're right, and men, isn't it wonderful when I do Y Baptist conferences? I'll start it with that. Here, I want you guys to say this. We're right. And you ought to watch people. They'll go, There's some things that we're right. When the Bible says something, if you agree with that clear statement, you're right. Are you with me on that? We can't. There are things that we can be right on, but my behavior is not always right. And the Bible, the Bible makes it very clear that I'm not supposed to allow my liberty to cause somebody else to fall. Honestly, as a believer, I can do anything I want to do. I'm not going to lose my salvation. I might be judged for not judged. I might be chastened for it. I'm glad that my sin was judged on the cross. I'm not going to be judged for it, but I am going to be chastened. And then at the judgment seat of Christ, the way that I've done my work, that's going to be judged. But I can, I can do anything I want and go to heaven. And people get real scared about that. It's a true, is it a true statement? If you're saved, you can do anything you want and go to heaven. Is that a true statement? Yeah, but you're going to bear in your body the results of that sin. There's no doubt about that. And... What a horrible thing it would be is if that attitude caused someone else to turn away from Christ and fall, a believer, or someone never to get saved. That would be a horrible thing. So we are supposed to consider others. How do, we, how do I decide? How do I decide what to do when I'm not sure whether this activity is right or wrong? So, you know... Have you noticed that I don't follow you around? Uh, Pastor Jim, can I do this? It's between you and the Lord whether or not you're going to do that. Now, if you asked me, would you like it if I did that? You might get a different answer than what you might want. But I'm not your pope. Aren't you glad for that? I would look cool in that getup, though. I think that I could rock that hat. It's... <laughs> I'm not your pope. How do we know what we're supposed? How do we know what to do with an activity 
when we're not sure about it? Well, you've got to remember, my purpose is to live unto the Lord. That's where we start. And then in everything I do, because he's worthy. Remember our verse from this morning, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Then remember Romans 14, 8. That's what we, none of us live unto ourselves, we li- we, whether we live or die. We, whether we live, whether we die, we, it's unto the Lord. All right, so let me go on. So again, my purpose to live unto the Lord. Here are five rules, just five simple rules for how do I decide whether or not to do something that might be in that gray area? How do I decide? First, does it please God? Would this activity please God? Now, that can be very subjective, listen, unless everything you do is rooted in a biblical theology, in a biblical understanding of who God is. When you have a genuine understanding of who God is as he is revealed in the scriptures, now you know what pleases him and what doesn't please him. So the first question is, does it please God? If it can't pass that criteria, it can't pass anything. That's where it has to start. Will this please God? Then number two, would I like to have the Lord find me doing it when he returns? Isn't that a good question? How many of you remember when you were kids and you guys are there? And you hear the car pull into the driveway. And you know you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. No, I'm sure none of you have ever done that. Man, I remember that. I, I remember, you guys, some of you will relate to this. I remember getting nervous every time I heard my dad's belt buckle. Any of you felt the same way? You know what I'm talking about? And here, it's not because my dad was cruel. It's because I was always doing something wrong. And I never knew which one of those he had found out about. So, Listen. This is such a good test. Would I want to be doing it when the Lord returns? We talk about this. When we're saved, we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. We take the Holy Spirit with us into every activity. Where are you taking God today? This is what what I want to be doing it. Would I like to have the Lord find me doing it when he returns? And then number three, can I ask God's blessing on it? Can I ask God's blessing on it? Man, that's a good question, isn't it? You know, if you're, if you're buying something, and there's nothing wrong with having that, but you can't afford it, should you ask God to bless that when you know that you can't afford it and you've got, you've got your priorities wrong? Can you ask God to bless that? That's interesting, isn't it? So simple tests. Here, let's go through those again. Does it please God? Would I like to have the Lord find me doing it when he returns? And can I ask God's blessing on it? Those three tests are tests that deal with God. So these activities that the Bible may or may not have a hard statement about, that's the, the taking God into consideration for those. Well, what about these next two? The next two have to do with those around you. So number four, would it cause a weak Christian to stumble? Would it cause a weak Christian to stumble? Now, Several of these, if you come from the same type of background that I did, we heard these all of our lives. Okay, these, would it cause a weaker brother to stumble? And they would use that for lots of, anything that they wanted to preach against that wasn't in the Bible, 
they would use this one. You guys know what I'm talking about? But it's still a good thing to consider. Would this cause a weaker brother to stumble, a weaker Christian to stumble? Let me give you an example. Um, I've never been to a regular season NFL game because I'm usually doing something on Sunday. Would it be a sin for me to go to a football game? No, it wouldn't be. If I took a Sunday, if, if, if next year the Bears are playing the Packers and you guys decide to buy me a game, I'll take it. Okay. And I don't think that that would cause a weaker brother to stumble. I really don't. But what if I got season tickets and decided that for 16 weeks I was going to miss church? What am I saying? I'm establishing a priority of football over the Lord's house. That could cause a weaker brother to stumble. Now, because we don't really have an NFL team that's, that's very close, is there one in Cincinnati? Do they? Here's one that, that could become a lot closer to home. How about hunting? See, we got a lot of hunters in the church, and what you guys do is you might miss a Sunday or two during hunting season, but you get up before, you get up early and go, or whatever, you come to church, you're where you're supposed to be. Imagine taking that entire period off all the way from, which, which is the first, muzzle loading or something? Which is the first one? Bow? I don't know. BB guns, wrist rockets? I don't know. <laughs> I would be as convincing as, do you remember when John Kerry went to get his hunting license? He had his brand new crispy Carhartt coat on, and he walked in. He said, I need me a hunting license. <laughs> it sounded so stupid. I couldn't believe it. That'd be me. So imagine if you start all the way at the beginning and, and you just miss church all the way through all these different seasons and you take somebody with you when you could have been bringing that person to church, that could cause a weaker brother to stumble. Are you all with me on this? Those are just simple illustrations of, of, of things that we can do. A simple test. Don't do anything that's going to cause a weaker brother to stumble. I'll tell you the areas like that that I have to be careful of is complaining. Talking about things, just showing anger or being, being short-tempered. All of those things could really cause a weaker brother to stumble. Just not supposed to do that. Not supposed to be a murmurer, not supposed to be a complainer, those types of things. So would it cause a weaker brother to stumble? And then, this one is tough. Would it cause a weak Christian? That's not it. Oh, I messed it up. So here's the fifth one because I messed up my slide. Would it cause someone not to believe in Jesus Christ? Would this activity keep someone from listening to a presentation of the gospel? Would this behavior, would this activity stop someone from getting saved or having the opportunity to be saved? See, we need to consider that none of us, like we said this morning from the poet John Donne, no, no man is an island. None of us, we don't live to ourselves, we don't die to ourselves. We all have a circle of influence. And we need to understand that people are watching us. How many of you have had someone come up to you at work and give you a prayer request or talk to you about something, and you didn't even know they knew you? They know that you're a Christian. So the things that we do, the attitudes that we have, the behaviors that we demonstrate, 
man, they can either cause a weaker brother to stumble or they can keep someone from being saved. So as we're considering what we are allowed to do, how we are to live, and where my liberty ends, we need to understand that we have people around us. And what did the Apostle Paul say? The whole context was meat offered to idols. So they would have these sacrifices, and after that sacrifice was done, the meat was put on and it was cooked as a sacrifice. After the ceremony was over, it's just meat. That, that's not even a real God. It's just food. And you could get that food and eat it, and when there wasn't a whole lot of food around, that was a good way to get food. But people who had come out of that lifestyle... People who had come out of making those sacrifices. It was very offensive to those people to have you eat that meat. Well, according to the word of God, it doesn't matter whether you eat that meat. But Paul said, if it causes my brother to stumble, I'm not going to eat it as long as the world stands. I'm not going to do it. Because my need for that food is less important than that person's salvation or walk with the Lord. You see, this is where that concept on becoming a welcoming church and for us moving ahead, it's this. It's not about me. It's not about me. Now, however, I'm, I'm so thankful that I, I am blessed by coming to church with you guys. Well, that's something for me. I enjoy that. That's a blessing. But that's not why I come. I come to be a blessing to somebody else. And you might be thinking, well, you're not doing a very good job. Well, we all need to make sure that we are here for the Lord and then for others. Those five rules for how do we make these decisions. So what we need is a church. This is a review from this morning. Theological preaching, doctrinal teaching, God-obsessed worship that shapes the thinking and living of the saints, a purpose to live, and that's to live unto the Lord. And then I find that purpose in building others. I build others on the solid foundation of a theology that is rooted in the Word of God. Then this is the end of Spurgeon's statement. This was his prayer. And I wanted to repeat it tonight. Lord, accept me. I here present myself praying to live only in thee and to thee. What a great prayer. Lord, accept me. I here present myself praying to live only in thee and to thee. Let me be as the bullock which stands between the plow and the altar to work or to be sacrificed. And let my motto be ready for either. I'm ready to work, I'm ready to be sacrificed, and I consider the Lord and I consider others. Why do I live? Because he lives, we live also. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for these faithful workers, people that love you.